0: Today on the Tim Manor podcast show, we've got Nicola Ross, the boss, trainee psychologist. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off a little bit. I quite oh, good <laughs> That's the new fucking tagline, tweet
1: <laughs> Let me,
0: um, I'm going to start off with the darkness. Okay. Let's start off with the darkness.
1: Yeah.
0: On eating and your self image and body image.
1: Yeah.
0: Back in the day. Okay. Talk to me about that
1: so when i was around probably 15 16 um late high school days got bullied horrendously in high school and i don't think i mentally knew what i was doing
0: have you talked about this before no
1: no this is something that i don't really tend to talk about especially in such a depth um it's it's a sore point for me it brings back a lot of you know cold days, lonely times, yeah. times that as a 16 year old, you should never have to mentally fight through. You know, when you're younger, you kind of just go to high school, you get on with your life, you know, you're supposed to be a carefree teenager. Um, and I think I was everything but. <laughs> um, when-
0: Which I, is mad, isn't it? When you look at you now, like you're like this amazing energy.
1: I think I brought a lot from that. I think a lot of people, when they get older, unless you reflect on who you were as a child and how you became the person you are today, you don't get to have that freedom. You're constantly mentally tied to how you built the person that you are. And you have to deal with your demons. In order to do that, you've got to reflect on those demons. So I started out, I don't think I really ever knew that I was ill. I was working um, in a local pub and I was very slim, as I used to put it. In high school, I used to get dinner money. I used to get £2.50 a day. Um, And it used to be a case of go get breakfast, dinner, come home at 10 past 3. And I resorted to having two Red Bulls and a packet of chewing gum all day. And for me, I didn't know exactly that I had a problem. It was just normal. So because I was being bullied in high school... I struggle to eat. So when something emotionally affects me, the first thing that goes is my appetite. So I was just going Red Bull and a cookie. And that went on for probably a year and a half, two years. And I started working at this local pub. And So
0: just give me, like then, what, what, yeah. what, what would you eat like in a day?
1: So I wouldn't have breakfast. I'd get a Red Bull on the way to school. So there was a local shop near my mum and dad's on the main road. Go in there and get a Red Bull. And it was the full sugar one as well. And I'd go into school, I wouldn't eat anything. Come to lunchtime, I'd go to the shop, literally, school, turn left, there was a shop there as well, get my second Red Bull. And I'd then go back into the school canteen. Now, bear in mind at this time, I was bullied a lot. I didn't have a circle. I didn't have like.
0: What were they bullying you for, Nick?
1: Um, I was a little bit, I don't wanna say left wing, but I was a bit of an emo kid.
0: Yeah, you are
1: definitely yeah. left wing. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little, I, I never fitted. Yeah. And I still don't. But when you're in a high school clique, that's how people get you. That's how you are bullied. You're not normal. You don't have friends. And it's the first thing people will reach for. So I didn't really know why people were bullying me. I was just like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a person. So. I was going back into the canteen and there was me and what we used to call kind of the emo table. Like, it sounds ridiculous to refer to it as an emo table. But I'd go and sit with them and I'd have a double chocolate cookie. And that would be it. It, until my mum came home at five o'clock. She'd make tea, half past six. I'd probably eat, quarter to seven maybe. And then I'd go to bed. Between that time of having tea, dinner and going to bed, I would just feel consistently ill. I'd just feel sick. And it took me about two, maybe three years to realize why that was. So when I started working at the pub that was down the road from my parents, I'd do a double shift, which is like 12 till five, six till 10. And again, the same thing. I would just get up in the morning, grab a Red Bull. I'd walk to the pub, which was about a 40 minute walk. Yeah. I'd walk there, start my shift. I'd have my break five till six. And this was a very pivotal point in my life, but also my family life. There was a lot going on at home and I didn't realise that those things would impact me subconsciously. So in that break, I just, it sounds ridiculous to say this because I know how much I eat now, but I'd just have salad cream and cucumber and a little bit of lettuce on the side.
0: Mm.
1: And in a bowl, and that would do me until I got home at ten o'clock, half ten.
0: And what's the what's the thing that's going on in your head? Because you're getting bullied that you need to control what you're eating. What is it that's going? No, I
1: think because I'm such, I just shut down like with my appetite when I'm emotional. Even now, you know, coming we're going what thirteen years down the line. If I didn't look at my watch and say right, it's ten o'clock, I need to eat. When I'm having a bad day, I wouldn't eat. So I eat by a time scale now, rather than going, oh, I'm not really feeling like food. Right. Whereas back then, you know, you are younger, 16, 17, 18 years old, you are young. You, are many, you You haven't got a jiffy, yeah. like at all. And you think you know best, you really do. But with everything that was kind of going on at home, I didn't want to bother anyone. I was the kid that always kept themselves themselves. I was like, I'm cool, I'm making some money, I'm going to the traffic centre. You're center. basically just
0: suffering on your own here, in your own silence. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Because I, th- I still do it now again. Um, I can't bring somebody in to my problems until I know what's going on. Till I know that I'm, it's being dealt with and that I've got control and I know why I'm feeling like I'm feeling. Right. Because I just don't want to bother anyone. What's the point? So that's how it, it kind of went for about four or five years. Um, but in that time, I was admitted to hospital. Um, I got diagnosed with endometriosis. Which,
0: which is what?
1: Endometriosis is um, a medical condition, um, basically with the female reproductive system. And you are supposed to shed the lining of your womb every month. Yeah, With endometriosis, it doesn't shed. It goes back into the body. So it's a live um, piece of tissue with live hormones in that attaches to your organs. Right. So I was going through all of this. I wasn't really sure why I was being diagnosed with this thing because I was like, I've not, I'm female, I've not started my periods yet. I was 18 when I was being admitted to hospital. The hospital said to me, literally, I was six and a half stone at 16. And I was trying to figure out whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. Because I didn't know. You know, I you know I love my mum to pieces. I have a great home relationship with her now. But she had so much going on that you don't really want to bother your mum. You're a bit like, I'll crack on with it. I'll be okay. And I think the, the point was, when I went to hospital, because I went to go on the contraceptive pill, and they said to me, um, there's something you know, we need to talk to you about, are your parents available? And I was like, well, well, yeah, but, you know, why? And it turned out, and they, they, they admitted to hospi- admitted to hospital for being anorexic. And in my mind, that time, I was like, I'm anorexic? I was like, is that what, like, I didn't know that eating disorders were even a thing at that point. I was just kind of living my life and thinking that that was the only way I could kind of get through. Um, And I went full cycle with it. I went from anorexia to recovery, to bulimia, (laughs) to figuring out that none of this was making me better.
0: What is, give me, what? What's anorexia and what's bulimia? So
1: anorexia is basically obviously is a more medical term for it, but I'll break it down, is you're basically not eating enough. Yeah. Yeah. So your body is in a degenerative state by lack of food. Bulimia is where you eat and you can sometimes gorge and binge and then you'll be sick. Right. So you'll bring everything back up. So a lot of counselors that I've spoken to since have said to me that tends to be the way that people do go because they're on the road to recovery and they're eating, but then there's this panic, there's this fear, and then bulimia starts.
0: Right.
1: So I went that full cycle. And I remember being in the traffic Centre with my sister mum, my dad. We'd gone shopping on a Saturday. And this is a very pivotal point, that I started to shake horrendously. And my mum said to my sister, Go and get her a bottle of Coca Cola. Yeah, give her some sugar. And Kaylee sat me down, my sister, and she was like, Are you okay? And I literally just said to her, I'm fine. And I knew from that moment that the hospital diagnosis, seeing, I refused counselling multiple times, and I still do to this day. All those things, I was like, Oh my God. I almost died and I'm still doing this to myself I didn't have to me at that point as a child I don't think you ever think about what do I have to live for you don't you're a kid yeah you're just getting up and doing your day every day now I wake up at 29 years old and I go right what do I have to live for today what are we doing what am I doing today that is going to benefit me in a month's time, a year's time, two years time, you don't do that at 18, you don't do that, god 19, 20, 21 and at that point when I sat there I realised I was, I was really in a bad way but I didn't know what to do and I was admitted to hospital once more, I was taken in, Um, middle of the night it was, I remember being, I I went into mum and dad's bedroom and I was tremoring I was severely underweight, just been diagnosed with endometriosis but my stomach looked like a ball and I said to mum, I said there's something really wrong and I don't, I don't know what it is. So anyway, they took me into hospital and we figured out what it was. It was basically the combination of the two. Um, and they admitted me on this, this ward, I was in a room on my own, I'm not good being on my own anyway. And the lady came in, the nurse came in and she had me hooked up to all these machines. And I'm thinking, I don't want to die. This is not how I'm supposed to end. This is, no. But I didn't know what to do. <laughs> you know, my mum was still struggling with things at home. She'd just lost her best friend. I didn't want to weigh this on her as well. And there was a TV in the corner of the room. And they had Good Morning on, on the Thursday morning. And it was Jodie Marsh that was on there. And it was way back when she was competing, and she looked amazing. And I remember watching it and thinking, I want to look like that. I oh, she was, she was the sole reason that I probably didn't die that year. Because I watched her and I thought, oh my God. Look at me and look at her as human beings go yes she was famous at the time she still is now I was just this little girl from Manchester but I can do that a body is a body surely so I did some research on Google so I was like how do I come out of this state basically what do I do to build muscle and I remember taking a screenshot of this and it was walking lunges yeah and you ask my coach today and he would be like I can't stop her <laughs> because for me It was my life saviour. And I sat there and I came up with this little plan in my phone. I was like, right, this is what I'm going to do. And the nurses kept coming in with food. And I knew that that was the battle. That was the battle I had to overcome. It wasn't exercise. It was realising that food was what I needed to do the exercise. You've got to do the full circle. So I started doing walking lunges around my hospital room. (laughs) <laughs> the nurse came in. She said, uh, "Are you okay?" I said, "Yeah, I'm going home though." And honestly, my mind just switched. It just switched. I went, "I'm going home. I'm I'm not done. I'm not finished." So I took the meals that they gave me, and it took me around three and a half, four hours to get through one. But I did it, and the next one came. I was like, "Right." At the time, I didn't know about macros, I didn't know about calories, I didn't know anything. But I knew, in order for them to let me out those doors, I had to eat this food. So I started going through my meals, started doing my walking lunges. I was so proud of myself. Even since day, I was like, I did that. And then it was the Saturday afternoon, and my mum and dad had come up. And the nurse came in, she said, how are you feeling? And you know when someone's being really ill and grey, aren't they? I was back to a normal colour and I could look at myself in the mirror in the toilet and I was like, oh, I've got this. I've got this. I'm doing this. And I said to her, I said, Do you know what, I'm feeling loads better. And I said to her, I said, take my cannula out. I'm going home. She said, if you walk out these doors and we see you again in six months, you're not going to be in hospital. You're going to be in a rehab. I got in the car that day and the words that went through my mind were shit. <laughs> I'm not coming back here. And I literally changed my life from that day. I started going to the gym. I got two separate jobs, so I started working in law. And the gym at the time was across the road from where I was working. I'd never been in a gym properly. I'd never lifted weights. I walked to the pod. It was Lifestyle Fitness in on Dean's Gate, but it was then. I walked in this pod. I said, right, I'm joining the gym today. I thought, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to need someone to help me. I need a PT. So there was this guy on the opposite side, and he was a a PT. And I said, can you let me in? I want to join. guy called Adam. And I briefly talked him through what I'd been through. He said, yeah, I can help you, no problem. I was like, right. I said, I'll come in. I finished work at 5.30. I'm coming in, no problem. So I went in at quarter to six. And I remember picking up these gym pants, right? And they were no bigger than probably a five year old's. They were just so small. And I remember looking at them, thinking, This is the next step. You've got to overcome this. Walked out onto the gym floor. Oh yeah, you're right, right, let's get going. And he had me doing walking lunges, which is still my fave. And he said to me, he said, When was the last time you ever lifted a weight? Have you lifted a weight? I said, No. He said, Right have baby baby weights 1 kg and I remember struggling picking that 1 kg up and thinking oh my god and that from that point I got competitive yeah I didn't just get competitive with myself I got competitive with the entire gym <laughs> and I was seeing people and they were lifting like 60 70 80k and I was like how on earth are they doing that so I Every single morning he used to get the quarter past six train.
0: How do you stop yourself from going the other way now, you? As in like... Well, in that moment, obviously, you've got this control thing where you have controlling your diet, and now you've got this weight thing that now I want to compete to get everyone else, and how does it stop getting compulsive in that? So,
1: it did for a time. So, probably eight months post-lockdown, I absolutely went ham at the gym. And... I'll go into sort of um, PED use as well, but I got caught up in the world of um, performance-enhancing drugs, and they help you lift more. Basically, yeah. you get yeah. stronger on them. You recover yeah. faster, but you, you get stronger on them as well.
0: So let's come back to that one. So you're in the in the gym at what's it? We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll lead up to that. So you're yeah. in the gym, there doing the one Ks. You're looking around, seeing everybody yeah. lift sixteen. You think, right, I'm going to do that. Yeah. So yeah. tell tell me about that, what happened next? Yeah, and that.
1: so I had to learn obviously about food. I had to learn about carbs, the fuel that you need to put in your body, the right times to eat. Yeah. And Adam was the person that did that for me. He sent me a WhatsApp every morning. Shout out
0: to Adam if you're there. Shout out, out literally shout, shout out to, shout Adam to, Adam to Adam if
1: he's there. Um, he sent me a WhatsApp every morning. He said, right, this is your food for today. I was like, amazing, right? Nine times out of 10, I would skip lunch, but I'd go to the gym. And do cardio I'd go back to the office and there'd be a ring there'd be a um, press on the doorbell and it'd be Adam with a pack of chicken and a pack of microwavable rice to bottom. and I come down I'm like what's this for like I brought you lunch I saw you in the gym you didn't see me I know you've not eaten
0: it's good coach it?
1: absolutely you know what absolutely fantastic he was a great guy he was the guy I think I needed at that time yeah and I, through him, he trained me like a bloke. And it's something like, in today's society, oh, you don't want to train like a lad, you don't want to build muscle, you don't want... No. Yeah, you do. Yes, you do. And I think Adam was the reason that I got through that 16 to 18 months of being competitive. You know, meeting all these people in the gym, people coming in and being... You know. When you're so slim, it's the same as when you're probably really muscly or probably when you're really overweight people watch you, and they do. Not out of a, oh my God, look at that person, but more out of curiosity. I do it in the gym now, because if I'd have seen me now, but in that state in the gym, I'd be going up to that person because I know how lonely that person probably is. And it's terrifying that those people in that gym at that time did watch me, But I don't think at that time, I was even aware of people watching people in the gym. Nowadays, it's all over social media. But back then it never was. So I just got on with it. I was like, right, meal after meal, let's do this. Let's let's crack on. And I did for two whole years. And there's a picture, my sister took it at my mum and dad's. And it was one from two years ago, and then one from literally just two years in the gym, feeling mint. And I look at it now and I think, God, that's tiny. <laughs> but at the time, I was so proud. Mm-hmm. You know, I had these big shoulders. I had this back forming. You know, my sister used to say I used to have a thick because I had a thick neck be from training. But at the time, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, all I know I'm doing right now is day by day, getting me one step further away from where I was. And that is all I needed to do. And that's pretty much all I've ever done since. People often ask me, how often do you relapse? And for me, that's a big question because a relapse for an eating disorder can come in any kind of form. I've relapsed twice since that because I do believe I'm a very, very strong character Mm -hmm. and I can feel things coming on. I'm like, right, I need to handle this. The first relapse was post COVID. And I just stopped eating. Stopped. Like Why? I, I think my whole world had just been flipped upside down during the pandemic. Yeah. I was still working. I was still traveling because of work. And to most watching me, I was still living a normal life. I was still training in the back garden. I was still going to work, still a daily routine. But I just, I just shut down post-Covid. When COVID ended and the pandemic kind of ended, I was like, where do I go? What do I do? Am I just the gym? Is that, is that all I've got? All these people are restarting their lives. They were, they'd learnt something new in COVID. they learnt a new language. They'd studied. You know, I did um, first year and second year of uni in COVID at Open Uni. But I hadn't done anything. I didn't have anything to say, oh my gosh, I've done this in, in lockdown. And I felt a bit deflated. I felt like I should have used that pandemic to learn something, to do something more. But the realisation, when I started to shut down, that was it. within the pandemic, I'd... I'm big on Instagram, so I'd put on Instagram people who were struggling, you know, people living at home on their own, they weren't able to see people... I put people into a WhatsApp group. And it wasn't, you know, I was a coach at the time, I was online coaching. It wasn't a marketing move. It wasn't a sales move. It was because there were so many people out there struggling.
0: You know, because you understand what it means to be lonely, man.
1: Very, very lonely. And you can be surrounded by all your family. As I was, my sister lives two doors down from my mum and dad. I had everybody I needed. But I was so on my own. And there were support groups all over social media for these people but realistically I don't find them relatable my whatsapp group I was just a normal girl I was like I am sick of this (laughs) I am sick to death of not being able to do what I want to I'm sick of being controlled and I was so alone and I put together this whatsapp group and there was around 40 of us in it because I just said to people it's not for anything in particular, but just come and join. If you just want someone to have a bit of a a banter with, if you're on your own, just come and join, send me your number. We had the best WhatsApp group. And there was specifically one particular guy in that WhatsApp group, and he never said anything. Still follows me now on Instagram. And I know who he is. And following the WhatsApp group, went back to normal, didn't we, went back to normal life. And I started to put together blogs and vlogs because I realised that you can put as much as you want on your Instagram story. Yeah, I chat crap sometimes. But people love it, yeah? Because I'm just so open, I just don't really care. I started to put together a vlog and I was sending it out and I said, you know what? I don't care whether I'm sending this to three people or I'm sending it to 300. This is just me and this is what I'm going through. This is my life. Here you go, yeah? You might be able to relate to it, you might not. Not doing it for any specific, excuse me, specific reason. I sent this particular vlog out one day. And I'd just come back from the gym. I had a crap session. Crap session. Wasn't eating properly, weak, mad at myself, started drinking. And I went back and I sat on my laptop. And my laptop on my knee, mum and dad's, a glass of wine in my hand. And I started typing. Could I stop typing that night? Could I heckers? Yeah, It went on this vlog. And I went in about the circle that I'd just been through. Of I was this really healthy human being, I was coached before lockdown. I was due to compete in bodybuilding. Best condition I've ever been in. And all of a sudden I was drinking a bottle of wine a night. I wasn't eating, hated the gym. I was using performance enhancing drugs. I was lonely. I was like, what am I doing? So I put together this vlog. And I, when I read it now, I, I'm so proud of where I've, I've, I've got from that point. And I sent it out. And at that point, there was 98 people on my vlog list. 98 random people that just wanted to follow Nicola's vlog. And I sent it out. And I always put at the end of the vlog, you know, feel free to come back to me on email. Feel, if you want to share some life stories with me, Go for it. Yeah, it's not going to go anywhere. It's private confidential. And the following morning, I woke up with a stinking hangover. It felt awful. Absolutely awful. And I was like, shit. <laughs> I sent a vlog out last night. I was like, oh God, what do I do? I was like, what did I write? Anyway, I rolled over on my phone and I had this email off this guy who'd come back to my vlog and it was about five past four in the morning. He emailed me back. And he said, uh, he said, Nicola, thank you so much for sending that vlog out last night. He said, over the last six months, I've had some of the toughest days of my life. He said, and yesterday, I lost a person in my family. And he said, I came home, and if it wasn't for your vlog, I wouldn't be able to write in this email back to you right now. So, I read it, and I had this stinking hangover, and I'm thinking... First thought that came to mind is I must have done really well, must have been a great email. And he started to go on to say that he's followed me since pre lockdown, and then your
0: WhatsApp group.
1: Yeah, he joined the WhatsApp group, and he said I've seen you, and you're not shy. You're very bold. You don't really care what people think anymore. And if you're having a crap day, you'll tell people you're having a crap day. He said, but I followed you. And the strength and courage you have had that's pulled you through, pulled me through in that vlog. He said, because everything you said, I related to. And I rolled over and I put my phone down and I looked out the window at my mum and dad's. And I had a choice that day. And the choice was to carry on feeling sorry for myself. To sit there and go, my life's worse than theirs. Or I could go, you know what? Jesus Christ, I've just saved a guy from killing himself. I'm making an impact here and I'm not letting that go. I'm not wasting that. I got up that morning and I ran downstairs and I made my coffee. I was like, right, we're going for a walk. Backpack on, door of the door of the Explorer backpack, my water, some food. And I thought, right, I'm gonna walk. And I'm just going to keep walking. On your own? On my own. I'm going to go. And all I'm going to do is think. Think about what I've done. Think about where I've come from. Think about where I'm going. And don't get me wrong, that has changed probably a million times. But I needed an image in my head about what I was going to do. So I went, headphones in. And I'm trundling down the road. That day, I walked just shy of about 27 miles. Got up at eight, I didn't get home until about half nine, ten o'clock. And I walked and walked and walked. And when I got home, I made a decision that I was never going to be that person that I was yesterday, ever again. I had so much hate, anger. I was angry at the person that was in my life, destroying my mental state. They were the reason I'd stopped eating as well, because they were constantly having an impact on me daily, emotionally. And I got sick of it. I was like, how on earth are these people having such an effect on me? They're controlling my mood. The only person that should control my mood, how I live my life, the food that goes in my mouth is me. And relatively my coach at the time as well. So I cracked on, went back to the gym. And that's when I implemented the eating at certain times. I wasn't eating because I needed to eat. I ate because it was 10 o'clock. I ate because it was two o'clock, four o'clock, six o'clock, eight o'clock, 10 o'clock. Didn't matter what it was. I needed to get in a rhythm of eating again and that cycle. And I needed to get into the rhythm of going to the gym after work and not just going home and drinking a bottle of wine. That was the rhythm I started to get into. And then I got a coach again who changed everything for me. Again, I don't work with him now. I've got a new coach. But he changed the way I thought and he is probably part of the reason that when I look at people now, I used to, I didn't necessarily judge them, but I used to sit there and think, why can't I be that? And that used to impact me negatively. And he said something to me, probably about two, three years ago now. He went, have you any idea what person you are? Have you any idea what you're capable of? He said, I sit here, I'd followed my coach, my old coach, for years, and he'd taught me for years. I'd gone through an awful time with an old person in my life. And he said to him, he said, you have come through all of that every day, and you're sat there saying, why can't I be something else? He said, go home, (laughs) go and have a chat with yourself, and come back. I love that. And I did. And I thought, do you know what? He's got a point. And even now, I suppose it falls under the category of imposter syndrome. Yeah. Hugely. Even now I go home and I sit there and I think, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not comparing myself to anyone anymore.
0: That's the biggest thing for everybody.
1: Absolutely huge. Huge. Yeah. It takes a lot to get to that point though. Yeah. A lot. And to do a lot of self-reflection. A lot. You have to spend a lot of time. On your own. In your head. Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely do.
0: How have you gone from being all right, being... Because obviously, you know what it feels like to be lonely. I know what it feels like to be lonely. It's a horrible, horrible place. But I feel like going through them times, you actually, as you get older, you're actually really comfortable with yourself on your own. Yeah. Aren't you? Yeah. How have you sort of made that transition now? Do you spend a lot of time on your own?
1: Um, to be honest, it's probably something that I'm still working on that now. Yeah. So I used to, I've been single for a long, long time. And anybody who listens to this will know me and my love life used to be atrocious. So I used to spend a lot of time on my own, do everything on my own. And I was so used to it. Yeah. And I loved it. And then I met my now partner and I no longer... (laughs) do things on my own. But I love having that person there. Mm -hmm. I used to go for what? I used to take myself off. I used to go to Wales. I've got a big um, friends group in Shrewsbury. And I used to go to Shrewsbury all the time. And I'd pack my bag, pack the car, go for a walk. And I was so comfortable on my own. But the one thing I always used to think, usually in the car on the way home, was that I wanted to share that experience with somebody else. I never used to let it get to me. I was very open about the fact I wanted a relationship. I was always very much, I want a boyfriend. But it wasn't from a point of, I want a boyfriend. It was from a point of, I want someone to enjoy these things with me. I want someone, I'm full of beans all the time. I've got so much to give that it was being wasted on people who weren't worth some of the air that they breathe and it was affecting me. And it was getting me down in the sense of when i was going for my walks there was a point where i think um where was i I was in manchester center and i'd gotten off the train and i was walking down market street and it must have been around this time of the year because there was couples everywhere and i remember thinking oh god the best thing about valentine's day is the half price wine and chocolates the day after (laughs) i'd never had a valentine's day card I'd never had a happy Valentine's Day text message. I'd never had that. So I didn't really sit there and think, oh, I missed that. I never really had it. So I used to treat myself on Valentine's, yeah, by myself and Rose. I was Tesco by my own flowers. Like, I don't need someone to do that for me. I got this. Whereas when I was doing my little walks, sightseeing and taking pictures, I think one thing that really got to me, and it probably still does to be honest, that when I was going out and doing little walks, or relatively big walks in my case, I was taking my own pictures. And that might seem something very, very small to somebody. Yeah? Well, yeah, just stick your phone up against a camera, take a picture. But it resonated with me in the fact that I was so on my own. (laughs) A bottle of water was propping my phone up to take a picture. Can you get more on your own? And I was like, shit. I don't even have a friend. But then I was like, you know what, that's all right. Got my phone, got my what cracked on. But unbeknowing to me, subconsciously, that was really eating me alive. And it was upsetting me. I don't have a very um, tasteful relationship with my own sister, but she would always make a point of, you're single. And I was like, oh, I'd rather be single than in a relationship that wasn't feeding my soul, that wasn't feeding my future. And it's something that my granny, God rest her soul, um, chose you to say to me. If someone doesn't add to your life, they're only taking away from it. And when she passed, I thought I was in a terrible situation when she passed personally, I was in a really horrible part of my life. And I thought that woman would slap me right now if she could see what I was going through and what I was standing for, what was allowing to happen to me. So I thought on my walks, you know what, I'm all right being on my own because at least no one is taking from me. No one's taking anything from me. And I didn't necessarily have to make the point of, they're not adding to me either, because there's nobody there.
0: So you, were you scared of getting into relationships at that time because you, you, you were scared of maybe that's, if they got into something, that's what would happen again?
1: I think so, to be honest. Um, I'll make, you know, I'll make a joke of the fact there were, there were many in my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. There were people that wanted to date me. I had a, a relationship with someone who I broke his heart. Yeah. I absolutely destroyed the guy. And why did I do that? Because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. No one's ever got beneath the barriers. No one's ever broken those walls down. And if they ever did, I left. Yeah. I walked away. I was like, absolutely not. No way is someone getting those barriers down. I had so much, like if you imagine a football, a ball in me, I was angry. I was upset. I was confused, I would lost my dog, my gran and somebody very close to me in the space of 18 months and I was letting this one person control me Mm -hmm. so people were coming into my life and getting close to me and before they broke my heart I was going to break theirs, you're not getting close to me and at that moment in time I didn't know about doing work on myself I didn't know how to get inside my mind. I didn't know how to reflect. I was terrified. Imagine if I sat down with a counsellor and it's something that you know I've been offered counsellors on countless occasions and I've turned them down. Why? Why have I turned them down? Yeah. Because the times I've been through, I, I wanted to figure them out myself. Now, I know they say a problem halved is a problem shared. A problem shared is a problem halved, yeah. Mm. It's never the case for me. I never felt like that because I was always so scared of putting my problem on somebody else's shoulders. I went to Dubai to work for Emirates' cabin crew.
0: Is your relationship the same with counsellors now as it was back then?
1: Yeah, I don't want a counsellor anymore.
0: But is that not what you're.
1: Yeah. But I don't want mum. Because I believe that in the terms of becoming a counsellor, if someone comes to you, and when someone comes to you, you don't necessarily have a job description of what you're supposed to do for that person, yeah? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: However, in my personal belief, those people should be able to leave your sessions feeling like they can work on themselves. Even if it's 2% they should feel better mm. about reflecting on their past.
0: Yeah, that's what my counsellor does. Yeah. It's exactly what she does.
1: Yeah, because no one can leave a counselling session and go, I'm going to look at all these things. Yeah. Oh, God, you, no, you'd, you'd break. No, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you'd yeah, yeah. absolutely destroy it. Yeah, we, we do it into
0: bite-sized chunks, so we just focus on the little things.
1: Yeah, mm. and by doing that, I, when I was offered a counsellor, um, I remember the phone call... And I'd come out of hospital, I was in a hospital for a day case. I'd come out of hospital and they phoned me and said, you know, there is counselling there available for you. And like I say, I'd lost my gran, I'd lost my dog. And I was just in a horrible place. Because for me, I just put up a wall. When something happened, wall, wall, wall. Didn't care about grief. I wasn't able to grieve for my gran. I went, literally, I was working at her funeral. My first PA job I ever had. And I I was at the funeral. They didn't ask me to work that day. They didn't ask me to respond to emails. I was at the wake, and I was replying to an email about staples.
0: Whoa, you didn't want to deal with that. Didn't want to deal with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Didn't want to deal with it. And I remember this counsellor saying to me on the phone, you know, we're offering it to you. It's there, free of charge. You get 10 sessions. No no I, I, I'm not taking that and it took a lot over the last four or five years for me to look back on everything I call them like trauma they are trauma cases and I look at it as a trauma case yeah. and I open that file to say right what made you feel like that
0: yourself yeah you're just self reflecting here on here. trauma on
1: trauma So, for instance, I'll go into a case. I flew to Dubai to work for Emirates. Mm. And I now know it was somebody else's dream. It wasn't my dream. But it broke me. Mm. I was 21. (laughs) I was getting on an Airbus A380 to fly halfway around the world, leaving my family, my brand-new nephew, a farm of horses that I part-owned, back in Manchester. And I got on that flight and I cried. There are numerous things that happened out in Dubai, things that happened when I was trying to come home. And when I came home, I knew that that wasn't the right decision to have gone to Dubai in the first place. So I closed my case, done. And I never, never, ever reopened that till about properly a year ago and i allowed myself to get so I like upset. this case
0: thing where's this Put come from
1: because if you're working with a counselor and they allow you to focus on one bit yeah. yeah do the same so if you're at work and you've got a filing system you can't have all your files open at once do
0: you think i've got a filing system nicola no all right it's pieces of paper everywhere but maybe i need make to have a filing system, system. Yeah, I get because it. you
1: do I'll when like you, when you pieces of paper are everywhere when everything in your mind's everywhere yeah yeah yeah,
0: yeah, yeah because at the minute I've been working on the first dog that I ever got and I took him to the RSPCA to get put down and the guy came out and took him away oh. without me saying goodbye. And I it, I've not dealt with it. So I need to, I need to open that case. You but don't. there's that many fucking things. I'm yeah. like, look, I need to just focus on that one. So yeah. it's a nice way I've just reframed it yeah, from Absolutely. you saying that.
1: Absolutely. The way I, I looked, at, look at these cases, even the small stuff, even things like, yeah. that was a huge, I call that Yeah, that, my, my relationship with
0: trauma since working yeah. in the council has totally changed. I yeah. thought I had no trauma. I thought I was cool. But fuck me. Trauma comes in yeah, all sides. I didn't know that. Yeah. I was yeah. always looking at other people. Who am I to like, do with them?
1: You look at people who are going through like major catastrophic yeah, devastation, yeah, yeah, don't you? Yeah. And you think, oh
0: God, who am I to be Yeah. Here? Who
1: am I to complain? Or who am I to call this PTSD?
0: Yeah.
1: When actual fact... Doesn't matter what size it is. Yeah. It's how much it's affected you in yeah. your life, and the the cases for me, even so much as like when I flew back from Dubai, it was a a bad mis- bad move to go to Dubai. But that trauma case, I hadn't really opened it. I didn't want to, but I knew I had to, and I allowed myself. How did you know you had to? Oh, because I it was going over it in my head. The constant in my head, I was getting back on that flight again. I was crying again. I was drinking three glasses of wine on the flight. I was landing in Dubai again. I could literally, step by step, walk you through the moment I got on that flight to the moment I got back off it in Manchester. And I knew I hadn't dealt with that, and I needed to. Eating disorders, never dealt with them. Even to this day, never dealt with them. But I'm at peace with those because they've made me who I am today. They've educated me. So I'm at peace with those files. Yeah.
0: So those are those cases closed. Those Legit. Cases are
1: closed. Yeah. Yeah. My eating disorder cases.
0: Cause that's the big thing in it. It's yeah. like I go to my counselor and I've told you, you know, I do mushrooms and all sorts. Yeah. I'm not looking for happiness and stuff because yeah. I'm, I, I am pretty much made out of sunshine, but I just want to be at peace. Yeah. I want to be at peace with my mind. And there's a yeah. the few things that I, cases that yeah. I need to open back up and have a look at.
1: You have to but the, the way that I would explain to open a case and I opened one, a very sensitive one um, about three months ago and I knew that I was okay opening it because I was talking to my partner about it and there was no judgement there was no I feel that you should have done something different. I knew I was in a safe zone to to open that again. And I opened it, and as quick as I opened it, I closed it. Really? Yeah. Wow. It breaks me every time. Every time. And I can't change it. I can't go back. I can't reignite with the person that I went through it with. I won't. But every time I look at that case, I can't open it. Cannot open it.
0: Is, will this not be the case where... That maybe you need to open the case with somebody else?
1: Um... That
0: you don't know from a... Listen, I haven't got a fucking clue what I'm talking about when I'm saying this. No,
1: I know what you mean. By going to the council, they can help you open cases. Yeah, yeah. That you can't open yourself. Yeah, because
0: like, she's just totally refreshed. She changed my life. Yeah. Um out to Sally. Um... It just we talk about stuff, and I'm just like, fuck, it, I didn't even realise that. Yeah, I didn't think of it like that. Yeah. And it's just like, and now I now apply the tools that she gave me every single day in my life.
1: Yeah, hugely, hugely. But I
0: couldn't have done that without her.
1: See, I'm not even at the point of wanting to approach somebody about it, and you have to be able to say, I want someone to help me with yeah. this in order to go and do it. That is one case that. In my, in my filing cabinet yeah. of cases. Deep as fork. <laughs> it literally is. <laughs> From such small things to such massive things. Yeah. Um I think that's something I probably think of at least twice a week. And I go through it. And I don't know if you're the same as Subconscious
0: me. is like it just hits you.
1: No, no, I'll, I'll purposely bring it to the forefront of my mind. Fuck oh, it you. And think, right. You're like a machine, you've we've, we've gotta I'm like off oh, <laughs> oh no, get I it bring to the everything. Back everything right through and I'm like right I could be driving to work I sit in traffic for hours going to work some days and I'm like right let's go I'll, I'll be on the motorway in traffic and in my mind I'm thinking right this is what happened this is what you said these are the actions you took what would you do differently now well I wouldn't have done that but why wouldn't you have done it and I'm I'm, I'm pretty much having a two-way conversation with myself yeah because somebody said something to me a long time ago when I was going through this particular phase of my life they said you did what was right for you at that moment in time Yeah. and that sticks because at that moment when you're in fight or flight mode your body tells you what you need to do because your mind is working at a thousand miles an hour that your gut, your body goes this is what we're doing and that's it and you make that decision there on in I made that decision I don't regret it regret is one thing I will never do yeah I won't regret anything I love who I am today but would I change it the action no everything surrounding it yeah the people I lent on I'd change The actions I took following, I'd change. The way I looked at myself and talked to myself. No one needed to hear that. I hated myself. Hated it. I shouldn't have done that to myself. I should never have woken up, two days later, and gone, you're a dick. I should never have done that. I should have gone, you're an incredibly strong woman. Do you know? what you're capable of. That decision was a horrible decision for me to have made. The person that went through it with me, nowhere to be seen, left. See you later, off you go. And that person controlled me for four years. Four years of my life. And now I close that case, the minute that person shut the door, gone. And then every morning, nine times out of 10, a snippet of that conversation will come back into my mind and I'll think of it again
0: what is it you're looking from that what is it that you're looking when you open it up what are you looking for for it just peace from it
1: no i think people would probably say do you want closure from it and i don't think i'll ever get closure from it yeah it's not really closure i'm looking for maybe justification for the action that i took maybe i'm looking for a reason of why i let people push me and Talk to me in certain ways and treat me in certain ways, but that's me. I allowed that to happen. So when I sit there and go, there's nobody else to blame here. Yeah,
0: you've got to take extreme ownership yeah. sometimes, haven't you? Yeah. Just like, look, it doesn't matter, even though other people are at fault. It's just like, I've got to just take it for my own shit. Yeah,
1: you've got to take it yeah, and yeah, say, yeah. you know what? I did that. Yeah, there's a
0: few times that that's kind of got me where I'm like blaming other people and what's it going Even though, yeah, yeah, it's just like, look.
1: You've got to literally say, you know what? I let I them that. in my
0: life. I fucking had this. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And the one thing that I did was probably the strongest part of all of that and all these cases that I've got going on is that every day, sometimes I'm at the gym, on the Stairmaster, yeah? Yeah. I'll pull a case out. I'll be right. We've got 40 minutes here. Let's go through this again, and you digest it all again. You cannot, I don't believe you can go to someone and ask them for help unless you understand yourself what that was. If you went through a car crash, and you went to someone and said, I've just had a car crash, they'll ask you what happened, yeah? Why would you go to a counsellor and say, I've just gone through this, when you don't know what you've gone through?
0: I'm different on yeah. you, right? Yeah. Listen, and everybody's individual, yeah. and I get it, and that's your thing, but like, um, I've got really bad trust issues, and I mean yeah. like, they're ridiculous, yeah. like where I put my expectations on stuff, and I haven't got a clue where it comes from. Really? Yeah, but I do now, because after right. talking to Sally. Yeah,
1: because it makes you see things differently. Yeah, yeah,
0: and we went through my life and stuff like that, she unlocked things and what's it, I totally understand what you're saying. yeah. yeah i think for
1: me that that but that you need that for yourself i don't
0: need that i don't need that understanding i just need someone to tell me why am i feeling like this it's weird
1: yeah but does she tell you why you're feeling the way you're feeling or do you figure it out yourself
0: well she helps me figure it out myself which is kind of probably the same thing you're talking about where we've put a timeline and we started off when i'm what's my first is every memory and start going and then all of a sudden there'll be a trigger and she'll see it in me and she'll go well why you change yeah 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 yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I
0: love it I hate it but I love I, it yeah right? I get
1: that
0: um, let me go to the the ped use
1: yeah
0: you've gone down the. oh yeah what's it so now you've gone over Completely the other side it.
1: yeah
0: yeah. how did that trigger how did that start
1: so for me I it sounds very vain and I'm totally cool with saying it I wanted to be the biggest person in the room at certain times. I wanted to outman a man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to walk into a gym and watch a guy squirm. Yeah, because of this bird in the gym lifting got double what he can lift and that came from major insecurities from men being able to control me for such a long period of my life. And I remember I didn't know much about pets. Yeah somebody had said this name to me about a specific steroid not were really. it? was Anavar oh, so it's yeah. only very small yeah, yeah. it it's, tends to be I mean there's not it's an anabolic steroid um tends to find a lot of women are on it there's different variations of it now but back when I was looking at it um I was so scared I was like oh my god I'm gonna turn into a bloke but then half my mind was going but that's sick <laughs> like the other half of me was like no we have to be realistic here it's it's a steroid so I did a lot of research on it for about, about 13, 14 months, you know, and I thought, you know what, I'm right, I'm going to buy my first batch, I'm going to do it.
0: So what is it, The first batch, what is it, so cycle, it, yeah, it's how sure much cycle, is it, how much basically.
1: is it? So it differs, so for men they'll take around 50 milligrams per day, yeah, um, for women we wouldn't say any more than 25, yeah. At my... we're not
0: condoning Sorry. use just anyone listening no <laughs> we're not condoning of use of steroids
1: yeah. <laughs> informational purposes only Um I bought this this first bottle I remember who I bought it off I went
0: so were you injecting it in your ass your no ex? no it's
1: tablets right so that was probably the only reason I actually went with that one because I'm a needle fit I, I could not even now mm. having been in the bodybuilding industry for so long I have you know used pins on people before when they've needed to Um but I I couldn't do it to myself. I've got tattoos. I've got piercings. At one point, I had 29 piercings. The thought of putting a needle in my shoulder or my bum. No, thank you. Why? <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Because a trained professional does my piercings. A trained professional does my tattoos. Yeah. But I couldn't put a needle in my skin.
0: Right, okay. Just
1: couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to do it. So I went to this particular person's house And I said to him, this is what, you know, I want. And he was a close friend of mine at the time. I've known him for a while. And he said to me, and this, to people who are listening to this, they'll know this story and they'll know how funny it is. Now I can reflect on it. He gave me this tub and there were 50 milligram tablets. Okay. Now, men of a big build would take 50 milligram tablets. Per? Per day. Yeah. One One tablet in 50 milligram. 50 mil. A woman probably shouldn't exceed twenty-five, okay, and that's pushing it. I have done twenty-five milligram a day before. Yeah, I was big, okay. Anyway, I get this this pack of tablets. Pays him, gets in the car, and I'm thinking, oh my god, I'm about to take steroids. And he said to me before shutting the door, he said, Nick, do you know what you're doing with them? I said, No, I'm not going to He So one tablet a day.
0: A 50 milligram, one.
1: One tablet a day. 50 milligram of Anavar. Okay? Me, I'd done my research on Google and I'd read that women shouldn't take over 25, but I trusted this person, yeah? Wrongly so. (laughs) Trusted this person. Gets in the car. Right, I'm off to the gym. Takes me 50 mil. I'd been taking 50 milligram for about a month. Right? My eating gone up. I was, I was strong. I was ridiculously strong at this point. What were your
0: temperament like? How were you feeling? Do you know,
1: what? I, um, at the time, I didn't really, I didn't really feel any different mood wise. Different um, performance enhancing drugs have different emotional, well, hormonal changes to them, yeah. So it depends on what you take. So, the likes of testosterone, you know, things like that do alter yeah. your hormones. Anovar is very small, it's like a drop in the ocean kind of steroid. Not condoning it at all. However, if you're going to use it, then use it correctly. And be aware, for people that are listening who also don't condone steroids and think that every steroid makes someone angry, Mm. they don't. For the love of God, some of my closest friends, bodybuilders, been in the industry for 20 years, take steroids. sweetest people I've ever met. Mm. It's you as a person that makes that change. So... I was taking this Anavar, 50 milligram a day. I ain't none the wiser. And I said to one of my friends at the time, so I've been taking this Anavar," and he goes, oh, right, what, 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 um, what, what mega you on? I was like, oh, 50. He went, what? He literally, put his hand on my shoulder, and he went, Nick, 50 milligrams a day? I was like, yeah, why? He went, Nick, you're only supposed to take about 10. Whoa. and I was like whoa like whoa and <laughs> he looked at me and he went who gave you them I was like, I don't really want to tell you now to be honest he said no tell me so I told him and he was like they were close friends and he texted me he said what on earth are you doing and his reply was I just thought it would be funny no now I look back on that and I think, wow. And I still know the person, I don't speak so much anymore, but I think, you know, wow. Wow. But having that experience then led me on to doing some more research, doing the correct dosage. Questioning everything. Yeah. I really got into the nitty gritty on it. And... I then was using the correct dosage i was training correctly taking them at the right time i was looking after my body miles better miles better and i started to get to a point where i needed a coach i needed help i'd, I'd exceeded what i knew in bodybuilding i'd only ever done like my pt course my nutrition but i didn't really have enough knowledge on bodybuilding and i joined him and i said right this is what i'm taking We did an eight-week transformation and I've never been open about steroid usage until August last year, maybe even later actually. I put a post on my Instagram and I said steroids part one kind of thing and so many people were like oh my god you've done steroids and because I'm a woman and steroids tend to not go yeah. There's a huge, huge stigma around women taking steroids. Now, I'm sorry, but why is me taking steroids any different to a bloke taking steroids? I find it really sexist, to be honest. So, I started to get really into the bodybuilding swing of things. Yeah, I was lifting a lot of weight. Unhealthily.
0: Or no. have you got it under control? Majorly
1: under control. As soon as I went under a coach, yeah. he was like, right, I'm dealing with this. Right, so. so I trusted him. Yeah. Um, never have I ever done steroids out of context, you know, or done, how can I put it? Steroids in a way that would abuse my body. Yeah, I've done them carefully. I'm a person that anything that kind of... Apart from the 50 milligram ones. Apart from 50 God, honestly, I'll never get over that story. Um, when I started working with that particular coach... I trusted him, and I still do to this day. We no longer have a coaching relationship, but he got me in one of the best conditions of my life. Now, there's a two-sided argument to it because I was going to the gym full of demons, full of eating disorders. I was taking steroids so I could lift heavier to be stronger because I was angry.
0: Fucking hell.
1: Did a full cycle, and I wanted to be lean, yeah? I wanted to be abs, I wanted veins in my shoulders. Why did you want that, Nick? It's taken the last 12 months for me to go, you're just vain. You were desperate for attention. You were that lonely at that moment in time, in that period, that people messaging you going, oh my God, you look amazing, put you in a good mood. So every person around you on your social media would trigger you in either in a good way or a bad way. And it's still, to this day, sometimes, still gets me. Not where, nowhere near as much. Nowhere near as much.
0: How would you check it now? you just mindful of it, self-reflect, kind of.
1: I learned a lot. Um, I went to France with work um, two weeks ago now. I went on a big um, course with a bunch of CEOs. And it was funny because the guy who ran the course, he, he made a point of saying, literally don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. And you hear that saying all the time, don't you? Mm. Brush it off. Don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. And you think, how do you not sweat the small stuff? On Wednesday night, I was in a bar in London with my boss and my finance manager. I had a conversation with him and he said exactly the same thing. Don't sweat the small stuff. And I'm still thinking about it. At that moment in time, when people were triggering me in a good way and a bad way, their words were having such an effect on me that that would determine whether I went to work in a good mood or a bad mood. Mm. Somebody else's opinion on me was affecting my day. I didn't know Timmy from Sheffield, but he just told me like a bloke. So I went on Instagram and had a big rant, which was doing what? Mm. Firing up a negative side of me. Yeah. So
0: I think it's redefining what the what small things are though.
1: Yeah, it is. Into yeah, it is.
0: Because I I totally get that. Because small things could be a huge. massive thing, could be trauma, could not yeah, it? Yeah. It is. It is them comments. It is those little.
1: It's the little things that
0: are out of your control in a way.
1: They affect you the most yeah. when someone has a snide dig about something. Now I'm like, yeah, whatever. Mm. But at that time, I didn't know who it was. I wasn't confident. I was lonely i was angry i was upset at the world i couldn't deal with my cases didn't have the mental capacity to deal with them i don't know what i was doing so every little comment really upset me mm. the good ones i was like oh i look amazing feel amazing yeah. would determine then if i had a good session i was so emotionally reactive mm. that for someone at, how old was i at the time 25 for someone at 25 years old I was so far from where I wanted to be, but I had no idea how to control it. I just didn't know. And I'll be honest with you, the change that I've seen in myself over the last 18 months has come from coming away from bodybuilding, because I had to due to injury, moving out of my parents and saying, see you later to a few people in my life who would have the biggest emotional yeah. effect. Yeah, yeah. And I say this probably some people will you know, probably say you shouldn't do this. But I don't care if somebody is family or a friend, yeah. Mm-hmm. If someone is ruining your mental state, yeah, or is having a severe negative effect on your life, get rid of them. Just get rid of them. Because it's like throwing another coal on a burnt out fire. It's going to explode at some point. But that coal is that toxic person. I have literally grown five years worth in 18 months. Just by assessing those cases. Realising who the fuck I am. Yeah, that was a big realisation for me. Like, wake up Nicola. Getting where I am today... Career-wise, I'm so proud of where I am, career-wise. So proud. And emotionally, and in a relationship. If you'd have told me five years ago that I would be where I am today, I would never have believed you. Ever. Not in a million years. That I'm capable. I've been with my fella now, Sam. I've been with him 14 months, yeah? <laughs> I live with him. I've never lived with a bloke before. If you'd have told me when I was 25 that I'd be in a full, steady relationship, planning a family, babies, future... If you'd have told me that when I was 25, I'd be like, Ha! Not a chance. But I have never been so self-secure and so confident in all my life. And I did that. I've done that. I didn't seek... I didn't need help. I didn't want help.
0: Will you always be that emo Nicola back in the day?
1: Oh, probably, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: There's always a if, you could, if, you, <laughs> if you could go back and tell her something or give her a piece of advice, I know it's a bit of a cliche question, like, but what, what, would what, yeah, what would that thing be that you'd go and tell her right now to help her out?
1: People are going to hurt you. Just keep going. Yeah. Just keep going. People, people... When I was 16, 17, 18, 19, up to being 26, 27... People hurt me mentally, physically, and emotionally. Yeah. And there were times when I sat there and I have contemplated ending my life. Yeah. And I don't know what it was that stopped me from doing it. And I'm just, I did it. Do you know what I mean? I said those things to myself that are the reason I'm still here today. So that Nicola, I wouldn't change anything she's been through. I would tell her, apart from probably to kick more boys to the curb, but (laughs) I would tell her just keep going. You have got this so much. Like as hard as the hard days are and as emotional, you are going to cry. You're going to spend days crying. You're going to be sick crying. And what's that going to do? That's going to build character. It's going to build you internally. I won't change it for the world. Not the world.
0: Too many people are in the comfort zone, aren't they?
1: <laughs> Massively. <laughs> Huge, wrapped yeah. Huge Wrapped in cotton wool. Yeah. hugely wrapped in cotton wool.
0: Where can people find you if they want to reach out to you?
1: So I'm on Instagram currently as Nicola underscore L Ross. I do have a long surname, which is why it's been abbreviated. Um, but as we discussed uh, a few weeks ago, I am looking to start up some wellness retreats. Um, having been in the university doing psychology and counselling, um, been a bodybuilder for, what, 12, 13 years now, um, I believe that I can add something to a lot of people's lives. I agree. <laughs> so hopefully, some point soon, uh, it'll be out on my social media that I'll start running some wellness retreats.
0: Nicola, thank you for coming on, showing your story, mate. Thank you, Tim. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> Mana, what, what, you're with the best? And what, what, you're with the best? And what, what, you're with the best? And what, what, you're with the best?